I like that you brought up Moxie because it's one of those things that doesn't fit in your algorithm, mm. right? I assume you do not have a, a column for Moxie. We wish if we could <laughs> figure could out measure the, measure the Moxie score, um, you know, we might set that up as a side business. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This week, Telstra's Mark Sherman. So what I'd like to, to begin with is talking about quantitative analysis. Uh, and I think we got to start with what which the hell really is... Gra- which really grabs people. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah There's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, people are like uh, looking at their phones right now. Well, what other podcasts are there? Sherman is one of a growing number of venture capital investors who think investing decisions can be calculated, that a money ball-like math formula can figure out the difference between the next sales force and the next we work. Basically, we're sucking in data sets that we think are relevant and then feeding them into um, some algorithms that we've developed to basically score companies. Longtime listeners may recall our interview with Chris Farmer of Beacon, who created a computer program to do something similar. And as you were showing me, you got very enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, it's uh, you'd have to be crazy to spend as much time building systems as I have, so you, you better be passionate about it. I did an interview some years ago with Chris Farmer from Beacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is doing something extremely similar, mm-hmm. um, and and he swears by it. And you've mm-hmm. had success too, right? Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. discovered that your algorithm works. Yeah. So we've made 90 investments, in, and we have 15 companies that are unicorns and four that are decacorns. And so we've had a fair amount of success in terms of using data science in terms of our investment decisioning. And we use it in different phases of of the process. So in sourcing, we score all the companies that come in, either things that we find outbound, things that come inbound to us, or just generated by the data science team itself. We then also use it for benchmarking. Um, And so looking at companies and sectors and seeing how they do relative to all the other companies in their sectors. And so, you know, I sort of half jokingly say, you know, 95% of the companies that that come into us or that we find one way or the other, we can reject within five minutes. Um, And it's because we can take a quick look at where their metrics are and where their scores are and what some of the trajectories are in these different dimensions. And um, 
and make a quick call. And in the end, you know, the second best answer after yes in sales is no. And and so I think ultimately, you know, it's helpful for the entrepreneur just to say, hey, this is not a fit and they can kind of move on and move to another firm that might be a better fit for them uh, for one reason or another. But then also from our perspective, for the other 5% of the companies that do look pretty interesting in the comparative space, we then have more time to, you know, do customer calls, to do management checks, to spend more time with the team about their vision, about their roadmaps, about how they want to execute in the future. You found that your math and your algorithms have led to success. They work. Have you had an opposite situation in which the, the, the metrics said no and you said no and it turned out you missed it? We've definitely missed our fair share, and I think most most venture you know firms do. Sure. Um, and so we we basically would say that you know data science or quantitative analytics is something that is not you know pure. We always use it as a as a supporting element to us making you know strong investment decisions. And so there could be you know other issues um, in the companies, which is you know. We uh, have heard that there's a product announcement coming from another company that might be competitive, that you know the, uh, the talent on the team may have some you know, strengths and weaknesses that may not ultimately fit. Um, some of their financial modeling you know, may not necessarily work. Um, and so you know, it, it's used, used as sort of a tool to try to help support us. Uh, but like most venture firms, we were not perfect and, and you know, we make our fair share of mistakes. Uh, but I think we've had a relatively low loss ratio. So I think we've had like a 15% loss ratio in our oldest vintage, which in venture is actually relatively low. Um, and so that, that I think is another kind of data point that helps us uh, feel confident and feel good that we're making good choices along the way. It reminds me a little of sabermetrics mm-hmm. of uh, those. The, you know, if you've read the the book Moneyball or yeah. uh, or the, of course the movie as yeah, well, sure. um, that that things can be reduced to data. Of course, then the old school people say either, oh yeah, we've we've tried that before, mm. or they're old school and they resist it. Have you seen resistance within your organization to doing it this way? Today, no. Uh, five and a half years ago, I think there was a little bit of skepticism with some with some folks, and you know, like anybody, it's you know they're from Missouri. Show me, um, yeah. and and I would say, what's probably been really good for us as a team is it's something that we've built over time, and um, and so I guess where I was going is we. Um, we use it on the sourcing side. We use it on the benchmarking side. We also use it in the financial analytics side. And then ultimately, you know, we're using it to make investment decisions. And now we're starting to um, put elements in between each of those phases so that we get a complete workflow. And ultimately where we're heading is to have a closed loop process where we ultimately identify, you know, companies and investing companies that we want to. Um, I think ultimately it's always going to be an investor decision for two reasons. One is, you know, we're an intensely people-driven business and CEOs want to work with investors that they like um, and they think add value to their situation. And by the same token, the investors, you know, want to work with CEOs that they think are really, um, you know, thoughtful and have a differentiated approach to how they, they're going to execute on this business. But I think that there's ultimately always a judgment call 
around is this management team going to be the team that can do what they say they're going to do? And is their vision um, very strong in terms of where they're heading with this specific you know, subsector? And have they thought through some of the financial analytics that will ultimately drive towards you know, returns that excite us? And you know, we can do tons of mathematical and tons of um, qualitative uh, analytics, but ultimately there's a judgment that people need to make when they weigh all those factors and say, you know, there's some benefits and there's some risks and ultimately the scale is tipped towards this is an investment that we want to do or, geez, this is, you know, something that gives us a little little pause. Where do you see the the future of venture in the next five years? It would... I, I, I resist saying that we're living in in tough economic times because the data just doesn't support that. Mm. But we're 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 living in odd economic times, yeah. uh, and it seems to me there's a shakeup coming. Yeah, I th- I think there is, and I think ultimately the elements that are going to be really important are you know performance number one because you know we're in a business where LPs sure. give us money, and so we have to turn that into great returns. So that's job one. You know, no questions asked. Then underneath the hood, I think there's kind of two major elements. One is sourcing, and then second is value add. And on the sourcing side, different firms have different elements that they can use to generate really interesting sourcing tactics. And so for us, a lot of it is using data science, you know, either to find companies, but then also just to support investors who, you know, have relationships and and talk to their friends at seed funds and angels and and what have you. And it gives us a quick tool to say yes or no, because ultimately people, you know, their most precious element is their time. And so if we can help them with a quick decision, that ultimately things are better. The other element is around value add and different firms have conferences and help with, you know, recruiting and helping with uh, marketing and whatnot. And we've basically made a call around helping with revenue acceleration. And so we have a team of four people and all they do is work with uh, founders of companies and try to generate revenue for them. And so we've generated $500 million of revenue for our portfolio companies. And out of the 90 investments that we've made, 45 have generated revenue in some way, you know, with us. Um, And, you know, with a lot of young entrepreneurs, particularly companies that are in, you know, one to $10 million in revenue, if we can help them with some early wisps of revenue, that really is, you know, huge value add for them. And it's very, very hard dollar. Um, and so, you know, most of the CEOs really like it. And, you know, to be open, I think we can do it in half the cases, you know, so 45 companies we've done it with. What that means is 45 companies we haven't done it with. And um, the reason for that is in some of the cases, it just takes time. So we'll get another 10 or 15 of those companies will generate revenue over time. It's just is taking longer than we would like. But then because our orientation is to be, you know, helpful and supportive, um, ultimately um, founders like that vibe. Um, and I think it just, you know, shows that we want to lean in and be constructive in terms of the building of the their companies. And they even if we can't help them on the revenue side, their intuition is, is that we'll probably find some other way to, to drive value over time. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? 
more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As I was researching for the uh, interview, I came across something where you used the term lighthouse leader. Yeah. What's a lighthouse leader? So, you know, we use the term lighthouse because it's somebody who really acts as a focal point for uh, an opportunity. And they really, um, you know, are shining the light in terms of where um, a world is going. And oftentimes it's in, you know, stormy or, or dark conditions. And so they're showing where a specific area is. And, you know, in the end, venture oftentimes is very much of a contrarian bet. And if you have a leader that basically, you know, has a very authentic um, idea about where a space is going, that's, you know, those are the types of people that we really want to get behind. And, you know, fundamentally, you know, we're investing in companies that may have 20 people and we want them to get to 200 or they have, you know, 100 people and we want them to get to 1,000. And ultimately, um, you know, there's a certain amount of smarts, uh, drive, charisma, um, moxie or, or grit um, that, you know, make up the components of a lighthouse leader. And, and it's kind of one of those things that you, that you know it when you see it. Um, and it takes, you know, it oftentimes takes very different forms. Some, some people are very extroverted and, and, you know, or your, you know, classic homecoming king, football captain, you know, type of thing. Others can be, you know, a little bit more introverted, reserve, intellectual, um, but, you know, don't sell them short to think that they don't have just as much um, moxie or grit than the homecoming king, you know, might have. I like that you brought up moxie because it's one of those things that doesn't fit in your algorithm, mm. right? I assume you do not have a, a column for moxie. We wish if we could <laughs> if figure could out measure the, measure the moxie <laughs> score, um, you know, we might set that up as a side business. But um, I think that that's a good example of where we can take you know, a lot of intuitive things that, you know, you and I were talking about earlier mm -hmm. and, you know, help to quantify them, help to summarize them, help to compare them, you know, very quickly in an automated way. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of intangibles in the business. And, you know, Moxie would be, you know, an, a good example of, you know, how do you quantify that in terms of uh, a company? But it, you know, can be a difference maker between somebody actually making a space and being the leader or somebody being, you know, a second or third or fourth or, you know, even further down the list. What other lessons have you learned over the years as far as investing? I mean, what are some some key things that you're looking for? 
You know, it's it's all about the people. Um, you know, any any time I've felt uh, great about an investment, it's almost always because I felt great about the uh, the leadership team. Anytime I've had hesitancy. Um, it's because I question some of the choices that the the leadership team is is making, and so you know we just spend a lot of time with the teams, um, you know, particularly in the dating and courtship process, um, just to see if if there's a good fit. And we also you know talk to a lot of people that have worked with them to kind of validate and uh, enhance um, you know our understanding of who they are, because you know a lot of people are very good at presenting themselves, and and I think we're we take that, but then we also kind of want to, you know, uh, trust but verify. And so I think the verification is also, you know, super important to us as we're as we're uh, making these investments. Your firm has roots in an Australian company, yeah. uh, but is now independent of that. Mm-hmm. But you still make uh, investments in Australia? We do. And uh, in fact, we, uh, I'm not sure we've announced it yet, but we just made, a, we just made an investment in December in a uh, climate tech related company in Australia. So I, I can't really tell you a lot about it, but that's sort of the general neighborhood. Um, we do, we um, actually started on the balance sheet of, of Telstra, which is the large Australian mobile operator. Operator, sort of like a Verizon or an AT&T, but for Australia, but they dominate that market in, in ways that Verizon or an AT&T would, would kind of dream about. And they've been an incredible partner for us. Um, you know, a lot of the revenue that we were talking about that we helped generate with our portfolio companies, you know, come by either selling to Telstra or through Telstra in terms of, of revenue generation. And then they've provided us, you know, with a significant amount of capital that we've, that we've received to invest in other companies. And, uh, about four and a half years ago, we split out uh, where they still continue to be, you know, our, our largest and probably most strategic investor. But then we've brought in other uh, institutional investment firms to support us, as well as some family offices and some high net worth individuals and, you know, other people that you typically see in, in terms of backing of a venture firm. Um, but we're very much independent in terms of, you know, my partner and I own the management company. We make all of our own investment decisions. Um, and, it's kind of the best of both worlds, the sort of uh, the friends friends with benefits of, of uh, the venture space in terms of having a great strategic partner, but then also being just passionate about the business and building the business out ourselves. What is the, the tech situation in Australia? I'll tell you about the only exposure I've had is uh, Melanie Perkins, who uh, told me the story of as she was creating Canva, which now is one of Australia's biggest tech companies. Yes. It's worth billions. Um, when she first went out to find money, she didn't know what a venture capitalist was. It's actually even a little funnier. I didn't even know what a startup was after I'd had a company for three years. All we thought was that we couldn't get a uh, bank loan from the bank because we had no credit history. And then it was actually only after having a brief encounter with an investor at a conference that I learned about venture capital and what startups were. And there was this whole community of companies and, like us. And I'll tell you, what's the tech situation now in Australia? I think it's pretty active. I think, you know, that's... I think, unfortunately, for Australia and maybe for Melanie, Australia went through a very big boom cycle in the late 90s and early 2000s, which then turned into a bust cycle. And so I think there was a little bit of a taint in venture in Australia in the, you know, the noughts and then the 2010s. And I think they've been making up for a lost time in the last, you know, five years, certainly in terms of uh, the amount of uh, capital it's been raising and the amount of capital it's been deployed. Um, and then I think also um, it's important to note that Australia, Australians are very, um, 
aggressive in terms of consuming, you know, new and interesting technologies. And one of the reasons why we've, you know, loved having Telstra as, as an amazing partner is because, you know, they're aggressive about consuming new technologies and new ideas. What are you most excited about in the next, say, three years? I think at the end, you know, the first thing I'd probably say would be, you know, AI just as sort of a an overlay. Um, and, you know, clearly it's, there's been a lot of heat in the last, you know, two, three, four, five months um, related, to, related to generative um, uh, AI and then also – Chat GPT and, and which is really the the general public's first exposure to it, right? I mean, we all we, we think of AI or we think of movies, you know, and robots and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was the first time that somebody could really just you know fire up their own computer and interact with AI, and people love it totally. And and I think that that's sort of you know it's important to note that. AI's been around for decades, and uh, but it's it's been in many, largely in use cases that are less intuitive to you know individuals, and um, you know, and it's I've been playing with you know ChatGPT with my wife and kids, and we've been asking all sorts of questions <laughs> and coming up with all sorts of answers that have been you know really fun, and you know, and also in, in the Dally Dally Two uh, around images, uh, mm-hmm. my son was combining Steph Curry um, with uh, the Mona Lisa. Which came up with very you know entertaining results, um, and so I think that that you know quote unquote fun factor has been really you know good and, and really good for the industry. But I think it also helps to um, give people a broad sense of use cases that you know as they can see it if they're asking about um, you know I was asking like you know. British prime minister in World War II and came back with a paragraph about Winston Churchill. And so, you know, you can um, play intellectually with this, but then you can start to see where companies like Jasper, you know, might be using generative AI around marketing and how a lot of our cybersecurity companies, you know, are using AI around, um, you know, threat detection and malware, ransomware, and, you know, all those types of things. You can just see how it's unlocking just tons and tons of possibilities. So AI, I think, is sort of the most important overlay in software-related, you know, venture investing for decades. Um, and you, know, you said three years, I would say that that's decades. And then, you know, in uh, other elements, I think uh, climate is an area that we're spending a, an increasing amount of time in and really like. Um, and then, you know, there's just a ton of fintech related things mm-hmm. that, you know, we think are really interesting with not to mention, you know, areas that, that have been, you know, tried and true neighborhoods for us, such as cloud or cybersecurity or SaaS or, you know, some consumer uh, investments that we've been making over the last couple of years. We started by talking about quantitative analysis and, and we touched there on AI. Um, is AI going to replace you at some point? I think the short answer is no, but it's really going to help me. And, um, you know, our head of data science likes to use the analogy of Tony Stark, uh, where, you know, Tony's a, a, an incredible human, but when he puts the red suit on to become Iron Man, that's the AI, and he's better and faster and stronger using AI. Mark Sherman, managing partner at Telstra Ventures. Earlier in the podcast, I mentioned Chris Farmer's efforts over at SignalFire to automate venture capital. You can find that in our past episodes titled Chris Farmer's Super Secret Beacon. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni.
For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.